And welcome back to uh, back to the square, back to the snake pit. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's re here with my boy Francesco. Hey, it's me. I'm back, Fran. I'm not talking about D and D this week, though. Fran, the man. Unless hey, you, listen. Unless you, could, you want, unless you want me to, you could talk about D and D whenever you want, pal. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have to bring you back. And uh, you know, specifically, we have one listener who reached out to me and said, I, because of the square, they found the hapless heroes. And became like a big listener, and I think they're part of your Discord. Yeah, they too. joined our Discord and said that they found us through the Square. And even if our interview got us exactly one fan, um, I'm I'm grateful for that. So hey, thanks for listening to us. No, and thank you this week um, and through December. Francesco is our guest producer. That's me. Yeah, be pushing the buttons and making these fellas sound smart. I mean, not. It's a lot of buttons to press, Fran, for that to happen. That's. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough buttons on the uh, you know on the old audio equipment to to make that happen, but. Uh, you're doing doing the Lord's no. work trying here. H- happy to be a part of the the Square production team. For sure. We're happy to have you. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's us this week, and, um, you know, we're we're in recovery mode, Fran. It, it was uh, – the Christmas party was fantastic. Great time. I cannot – I can. I mean, speaking for the rest of the boys, we cannot thank um, everybody who showed up, who came, and – and had a good time. Thank you to TV Mountain for putting on a hell of a performance for us. Um, thanks to uh, Rusty Weaver, to India Walton, and uh, yeah, man, Days Park Tavern. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm still hungover, so I'm <laughs> I'm still struggling. But no, the Christmas the Christmas show was was awesome. Um, it was really great to meet a lot of people who are fans of the show that. Uh, we actually had one in particular. Uh, our boy Serge came in. He came in from New York City to see us mm-hmm. and stayed the weekend and we hung out. We had some beers with Serge, uh, yesterday. So I know you're listening to this buddy. Uh, thanks for, thanks for coming and thanks for enjoying the show. Um, and thank you to you, the listener and all the profits are going to the West side, uh, bazaar. I think it's, I, I don't have the final count. Jim has that and he's, he's doing all that, but I think it's something the tune of like four to $500 that is going to the West side bazaar. It's wonderful. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a great time. But in the current moment today, we are extremely fortunate for for two big things here, Fran. Two things. What's that? Not just one, but two. First off, first off, we finalized it. We announced it this weekend. Um, we uh, we are now Square Podcast officially endorsed by Community Beer Works. Woo woo woo! Yes. Yes, we went from being unofficially endorsed, <laughs> sponsored by them, as in I spent a lot of, and Jim and, and Ryan, we all spent a lot of our money at CBW uh, regularly and will continue to do so. And now they have so graciously decided to to sponsor us. So you will hear for the first time uh, in the history of the show, an ad read, a product that we obviously heartily endorse. Um, it's the real deal, baby. We are not, uh, we're not messing around with something that it's not like a blue chew. It's not like a fucking mattress. It's CBW beer, nectar of the gods. So in a, a little bit, you'll hear, uh, uh, an advertisement from CBW. The second thing is our guest today is, uh, Dan Shanahan from Torn Space Theater. Um, their show, their production, their latest production Boulevard ran through November uh, it's going to be their last performances this upcoming weekend, Thursday and Saturday. Um, so you listen to the interview. You decide if you want to buy tickets. But I'm telling you now, 
highly, yeah. highly encourage you to get tickets. It is, uh, it's an, it's, it's going to be an experience. You are not going to have anywhere else. And if it went, if, if you don't get a chance to go this weekend, that's it. You're never going to be able to see it again. That's it. That's it. You're going to miss out. And then you're going to hear all like the fucking cool and hip people talking right. about, man, right. That was, whoa. And you don't want to be left out of that, Fran. No. And if you think we're laying the FOMO on thick, just think about like all the other people who've already gone and seen this show and have had a sensory experience that no one else will have. No. So you, listener, you're cool. We know you're cool. We know you're with it. Okay. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. Quit being lazy. Yeah. Just okay. Get your your tickets. I mean, as as someone who's been, you know, going to Thorn, uh, Thorn Space Productions since... I think it was like 2017 was when stations happened. Yep. Um, it is, it is, uh, a per, like, these are performances unlike any other. Yep. So intimate, interactive, and just like, I mean, it, it really does just, it engages all of your senses and it's, it's a, it's a, a unmissable experience. You really need to go. Yes. But before you do that, uh, go buy some CBW beer and listen to our interview with Dan. But here's from our sponsors. With Let's Go Pills, I wanted to make a beer that was similar to the beers I grew up drinking in in the tailgate. And I wanted a clear American lager that was crisp and and just really sharp. It it takes the classic American lager and and we we showcase craft ingredients made by locals, made by fans, uh, to be shared by fans. Bring community to all that you do and good things happen. And welcome back to the square joining us today special guest dan shanahan from torn space theater dan how you doing i'm doing wonderful it's uh, it's good to be a part of the square good to have you as part of the square you know listener we uh we here at the square we're you know we're, we're part of the great unwashed i'd say you know we're we're beer drinking where you know we're, we eat our potato chips we watch the bills we yell at the tv i'm part of the hoi ploy all right. I'm, I'm like you people. I'm not, I'm not that much different than you people, but every once in a while, you know, I have the, um, the, the artistic bent to me. You know, I, I'm, I'm drawn to the arts, the theater. I, I, sometimes I just got to Fran, I got to turn off the TV and I've got to, I've got to interact with, um, the artistic community around us and what an artistic community that torn space and Dan Shanahan has cultivated here. Um, Boy, I will talk about Boulevard, the latest production, um, but I just, I'm so, this is one of the, the interviews that I'm so excited, probably one of the most excited I am, because I uh, found Torn Space a couple years ago. Um, was it Stations, the Silo City production? Yeah, that'd be 2017. Okay. What was the one that was like the history of play, where it had all the different exhibits? Uh, where you like, where it was like different um, games? Oh, you you were you were talking about uh, the sunsets and golden circles. That's that's what it is. I'm so which sorry. Been maybe two years ago, 2021. Yeah, I'm sounds sorry. right. That sounds right. That was that was the first production that um, that I had ever attended, and the hook was my friend uh, Lauren from Step Out Buffalo. Um, she was like, "Hey, you got to go see this. I, I hear it's going to be like a midsummer vibe, uh, like that crazy A24 movie." And it wasn't quite that, but it was also uh, something that completely blew me away. Um, I had never experienced art like that. I've never experienced art, um, or production like that here, uh, in Buffalo, certainly. Um, but you guys have been doing this for a while. Torrent Space has been around for over 20 years. 
Yeah, so we were founded in early 2000s, and we been at our home base, the Adam Mixkevich Dramatic Circle, since that time. So we we kind of took an old social club and converted it into our performance space. And then the work that you're re- referencing is our, our work in site-specific performance, which is designing performances for non-traditional venues. And we began that process by accident. Um, we were invited into the central train terminal back in 2006, 2007. Uh, and this was just when they were uh, wanting to reopen their the terminal to the public. And so we were asked to design kind of a large-scale installation performance for the space. We had no history uh, of doing work of that sort, but it seemed too exciting an opportunity to pass down. So we collaborated with a, a visual artist, Aaron Miller, who had just got done designing something at the, at the Pompidou, in France, and he felt confident that he could work at that scale. So we we jumped into it. Um, we were given the security code to the terminal, and essentially left alone for thirty to forty days to kind of figure out how we we're going to create site specific performance. Um, and and that at that point we started kind of coming up with some rules. Uh, always start with the architecture, think about the mythology of the space, um, and start to go from there. And so so that that process has sort of traveled with us into the uh, into the silos and that's the project that uh, you were just referencing yeah i mean that was fantastic um and then last summer i saw ages um and a much different tenor and tone in a lot of ways and yet you, you mentioned the the mythology and I, I find it interesting because if you're not familiar with uh torn space productions at least in the the production that i've seen there's a there's a through and, and of course you dan you're familiar but i mean the listener here who you know doesn't really turn off the tv yeah, heathen. Um, go, go do something with your life. But uh, no, listen, the Torrent Space Productions have like a through line almost, it feels like. Everyone I've seen, it almost feels like there's a like a shared thread or, um, uh, you know, imagery or mythology. Um, can you speak to that at all? I mean, I know that's obviously intentional, but what, what are you trying to evoke for uh, the viewer or the, you know, the, somebody seeing your shows? So, uh my my wife, co-creator of the work, Melissa Miola, her and I, um, when we were trying to come up with a, a point of view to develop work at the silos, we were taking those lessons that we you know we gained from the terminal about the architecture and and the mythology of the space, and and that served us well because you can't really impose your will on on the silos; they're they're just too massive. Um, and we, we knew that we didn't want to have the silos just be an interesting backdrop to theater or plays that we were doing. So essentially, you know, being like an industrial site, an industrial set. Um, and so we wanted to sort of reimagine from a narrative point of view what the silos could be. So it became this, for us, this, this sacred space. And then we devised a fictitious society that would enact late summer rituals. And those rituals were going to be based on moods or feelings or ideas that have happened the year before. Uh, So we're always responding to kind of what was cultivated locally and globally um, from the year before. And so when you saw ages, right, that, that was responding to something sort of very different uh, that was happening in the, uh, in, in the world. 
Um, and so these these themes keep coming back. And so the the first theme we did to give paint a little picture for the for the listeners in 2013, we did a production called Motion Picture. It was our first um, original piece that we devised at the uh, at the silos, and we were working with the expansive uh, landscape of that of that uh, location. And it looked to us like a kind of a 19th century landscape painting, and so we started to to use that as the as the culmination for how we would pull images together. So we we worked with military reenactors who staged the Battle of 1812 for us. Um, we worked with equestrian horseback rider uh, to to bring in that quality. We worked with a uh, a bagpipe brigade uh, band. And we pulled a lot of you know music from Bach and Beethoven, kind of weave that into our original soundscape. So it actually looked like the sort of moving nineteenth-century landscape painting. Um, you know, you, you talk about uh, your, the the listeners, the ones you scolded to, to get off the TV, <laughs> and um, I think one important part of our work. Um, I'm also a huge uh, Bills fan, and and I'm also very much kind of embedded in this space. When we're creating this work, which you know I guess could be described as experimental theater. Um, it's been important to us to work with individuals who might not identify as artists and we bring them and fold them into this process that we're creating. So the military reenactors or blacksmithers or farmers or boxers or marching bands, um, we, we work with these different skill sets uh, and then we incorporate them into the construction of our work. Yeah. And, you know, funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking like every performance I've been to the performers, the the level of enthusiasm, the level of um, of buy-in. I mean, they're professionals. You know, they're they're part of this performance, and yet it's something feels unique about this. That it's it's very much you could tell that in every performance that I've seen, you know, the the performers are very much invested in the work itself. That they are part and parcel with you know the production that's going on. Um, I mean, how do you cultivate? The cast, because there seems to be a lot of people who I've seen who've been in, um, you know, many of the same shows, or I'm sure a lot of the crew is the same from production to production. Um, you know, where do you find these folks or like, do they come to you or, you know, if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So as you know, as a company, we, we, de- we develop essentially two types of work simply put. Uh, it's, there's the original work that we've been talking about, and I think this is the one we'll continue to talk about today. And then we will do what we call main stage productions, where we will do either plays from existing playwrights, um, whether contemporary, or if we're going to do a playwright or a play that's been you know well-known, like Streetcar Named Desire, we'll deconstruct it in a way that kind of makes it, gives it a fresh approach. Um, so that that's a very different type of actor uh, and process that we employ. But what what your to your question? Yeah. Um, what we've done is we've dis, we've been very conscious of working with people who we find interesting and in, at some at some level, and and then we we want to work with that individual, kind of amplify some aspect of their persona into the role. So, in in more traditional directing of work, you can you can do theater what would be considered kind of the Stanislavski or method acting, which is where you take a, an individual. Uh, and they try to psychologically construct a character uh, in order to make it feel real. Uh, we we sort of take that component away. So where the 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 person we're casting are actually playing a version of themselves at some at some level. Um, and so there's while our work can sometimes look it's very image based could be considered stylized. It there actually I think is a is a a real true 
naturalism to the work because the individuals are acting as themselves um, or some some aspect of themselves. And so that cultivation, I think, is what you're responding to, where where the where the people sort of live in these roles because they are these roles, uh, and then this idea that we often work with the same actors year after year. Um, so that we start to have a shorthand with each other. Like, so when we talk about, when we give direction or we start to develop the work, um, we've all been at it so long um, that I think that has created a really interesting kind of close, close knit process. Yeah. And to bring us to, to the most current production Boulevard, uh, which I've now seen twice. And I, I have to say, by the way, that, you know, I know, We'll we'll talk about it's going to be in its uh, you know in its end this upcoming weekend. But I <laughs> I actually took more out of the performance seeing it twice. Um, and I, I my God, Dan, you you knocked it out of the park. Uh, not to mix our sports metaphors here, but you really did it. I I, I mean, and who the hell am I to say you, you put out a masterpiece? And yet it felt like it was something that was very intimate, while also taking me to um, a very ethereal, taking to a whole other place. What, and I don't want to give it away too much. I, I hope that if you're listening to this and, and you're in Buffalo, Western New York, that you will go see Boulevard. Um, but what was sort of the, what was sort of the approach to the idea with a show that mixed both, you know, an in-person performance with that virtual reality? Sure. So I'll give a little context and I'll, I'll get specifically to the question. So this, this project is a collaboration with, um, a, a visual video multimedia artist that goes by the name Flat Sitter, who we've had a long um, working relationship with for several years now. And what we what we did was in the summer, we devised a kind of an art party, really, uh, for the grounds of our park where we, we mixed in um, fashion. So we, we worked with three specific fashion lines. Those fashion lines were responsible for casting their own models. We worked with um, two bands, some automobiles for choreography, and we we wanted to stage essentially a fictitious runway show. Although the the, the again kind of playing with this idea of you know what's real, what's not real. They were actually real fashion designers. They're real lines of clothing, and then we staged it. Uh, it was one night only, but we also staged it as though it was a a film set. And so Flat Sitter uh, was filming that performance, both in 2D and in, in virtual reality. Leading up to that performance, we brought all the models into our home space uh, on, on Fillmore Avenue, and we filmed those models in what could be described as their, their private spaces, the spaces that we, you normally would not get access to. So it had kind of a voyeuristic quality. And we filmed that in, in virtual reality as well. We took all that content and then Flat Sitter created a virtual reality experience based out of that. He then interspersed part of the mythology that we've created at Silo City into that work. So it becomes both a kind of fetishized version of, of, ind- of individuals' private spaces and it also borrows from this past work of, of Torn Space. So it's a bit self-referential. So that the virtual reality, again, if we could just sim- easily describe it as a fetishized version of, of one's <laughs> private space. So the audience would see 30 minutes of a VR experience, and then they will see 30 minutes of a live performance that has a relationship to the VR. The live performance is a- allowing the audience 
to look into two private interiors. And in these interiors, you have four characters that are, that are wrestling with, with, with some type of tension and some type of mystery. It's never quite defined. From an audience perspective, you get to voyeuristically look into their interior, interior lives. And then we do some uh, voiceover text. And I used text uh, from the philosopher Hannah Arendt um, and, her, and her really wonderful writings on totalitarianism. Why I thought that, that writing was so interesting is she was writing this in 1950 around, and she's reflecting on kind of the rise of, of, uh, of Nazi Germany. And she's trying to figure out what were the conditions that allowed for totalitarianism to, to take root. And she, she comes upon this idea of loneliness. And the loneliness as defined, translated in German would be uh, abandonment. So people being abandoned from something and feeling isolated and then feeling that the, the, the promises that exist within totalitarianism are, are compelling and exciting and, and it kind of mobilizes them. Um, so I, I wasn't necessarily making a direct political reference, but I was, I was trying to amplify this idea of loneliness and, and these components of what social media and the sort of kind of addictive quality to cell phones do to people. Uh, and, and so these are some of the themes that are kind of tied into that production. Yeah, I described this uh, performance in the Discord as like Bertolt Brecht meets David Lynch <laughs> is how it initially struck me. And one of the interesting things about the show is the viewer can experience it in, in two different ways. So, and and I, I was fortunate enough, having gone twice, to experience it both ways. That first you could see the live action performance in front of you and then have the VR experience or vice versa. And I found that each one of those experiences kind of hit me different. Um, the first time I saw it, I, you know, I witnessed the the live performance, and then when that VR experience hit, um, it was almost like a palliative. Like it was, it was like almost like a relief, like a taking me away because that live performance. You're right; it was so mysterious and intimate. With you know, it wasn't violence, but it was like the the threat of violence almost in the performance. Um, and yet that VR came on and it took me to like a, a weird, strange kind of wonderful world away from that. The second time I saw it, the VR was first and it was almost like that dramatic tension of, I know something terrible is going to happen, you know, like terrible in the sense of like what's happening in the interactions between the performers and the story. I know something bad is happening. I know it's going to happen. This virtual reality will not last forever. And, you know, the the weirdest, but also one of the coolest parts of it is taking off that headset and the performers are right there. there it's right in front of you that, no, this is what you're about to see now is real. Um, I, I guess, like, what was, what was, the, was that the intention to evoke, like, you're jarred into the moment or, you know, vice versa with that? You're talking about that final, the final image when the VR is taken off and you're confronted by a, a live person? Well, yes, but even like, I, I guess just the fact that, you know, like choosing for the audience, like which order to look, because I think it's, you know, every other seat or whatever, but was it intentional for each of the viewers to have uh, different experiences and come away with that and, and have different ways that they looked at it? So, you know, yeah, I think one of the, the it starts off all, 
with almost a practical consideration with with virtual reality, you know, you you have by nature an inability to show it to a lot of people, right? You, don't, you, you only can show it to as many people as you have headsets. So we've invested in 10 virtual reality headsets. Um, and we the audience is only brought in, in into groups of 20. So 10 people, as you said, experience VR, 10 people live, and then we swap them. We did want to make sure that if you did come with a, a partner, that one would go into VR first and one would go live first. So automatically you're sort of isolated from the person you, you came from. Um. There also is, and this was uh, M- Melissa's decision that who co-created this with me, this really, I think, poignant image to where when the VR is taken off, and it's what you're referencing, that there would be one of the live performers standing in front of you. Because each of those live performers do appear in, in the VR. So you do see this other, other version of themselves in the virtual reality, and then you're confronted with them live. The idea being, when you take the VR off, you don't know how long that person has been standing before you. Um, when you go into VR, we have this sound loop with this text that says, this is a room, this is Bill's apartment, this is a telephone. Basically, trying to impose reality. This is what this is, this is what that is. This is not an illusion. You know, This is specifically what these things are. And we do that in a loop so that when, that when people take the VR off, they're still hearing that and they don't know is that just what the people in the live uh, world has been watching on this loop over and over again. And so the, these, these uh, devices are all trying to kind of mix people's perspective of how long did they see something? How long was someone standing in front of them? Um, Were they, you know, how, what is this relationship between reality and virtual reality? Uh, and then, and then how can they kind of impact each other? Yeah. I, I mean, we've been talking here in kind of highfalutin terms, but I want to stress folks, this is fucking cool. Like this is like a really cool, like it sites sensory, um, you know, obviously with the, with the text reading from Hannah rent, but also just the music and everything about it is like, it's, it's very much like a, like a sensual stimulation, like overload almost, but it's also very intimate, you know, like you're in a room with 20 people and the performers. Um, yeah, I can, yeah, I'll jump in on that. Cause I think that's an please. important point, you know? Um, yeah. So what, you know, when we're developing the work, what gets me very excited and gets Melissa excited. I think our designers, I just, we try to figure out, you know, what is the philosophical foundation of the work we're trying to do? But at the end of the day, what really got me interested in, in doing this, going back to when I was a kid, was you know, early, I was very influenced by early horror films of well, not early horror horror films of the seventies and into the early eighties. Um, you know, what is the power of the image? How how can you just create very cool experiences for people that are not like normal places they've been into? And so that you know, in the simplest way, I think that's what that's what drives us to create this work is to say, you know, how how can you by employing visuals and design and sound and technology whether it's vr or 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 kind of video projection how can you kind of jolt people's sensory experiences how can you create a world that's very different from what they just walked out from right so so at at torrent space you you enter into a 1914 uh really authentic polish tavern which I think is, you know, again, there's there's no kind of make believe. It's absolutely what it what it actually is. Um, then you go through a, f- a sort of sliding fire door, and then you enter into our performance space. And the hope is that you know we create 
dream world uh, for a you know sustained period of time, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, um, and then it, it's over. Um, so yeah, th- this notion of image and impact um, is is crucial to how we, we want to devise the work. Most of our, our productions don't have a lot of dialogue, not a lot of talking, but really heavily relying on soundscape uh, and image uh, to really kind of push push the thing forward. Yeah, I mean, the aesthetics are like 10 out of 10. It's just so, it's always so, every time, every production I've gone to, Torrent Space, just blows me away. And like, again, to your point, like everything is just, you feel like you're put into a, a whole other weird world and element. And I felt as though like, every time I've gone to one of your productions, I, I, I feel like, okay, I've never taken acid, but I'm like, uh, I wonder if it's kind of like that. Um, and you're, you're back into, you know, the real world and yet you've changed it a little bit or you've, you know, you've experienced something in such a way that I've never experienced and you were fully immersed into it. Um, how, how is that to do that? Like, cause obviously, you know, on the page you're writing it, like, how do you, and you don't have to go fully into your, your methodology here, but I'm just kind of curious, like, is it just so rewarding to have that come to life as like something you're, you know, you and Melissa in your head, like, okay, we're going to create this whole fictitious society of things. And all of a sudden, like it's there, like, it's like, it's not just in your head anymore. Like it's, it exists in the real world with all the images and stuff uh, that you put together. Like what, what is that like just to have the stuff in your brain become, whoa, here's this image and here's this whole production. Here's Boulevard. Yeah, so you know, it, it happens in a in a very kind of sort of sequential way where we we as you said we we devised this idea for for Boulevard. It was very much a a, a collaboration with Flat Sitter, the fashion designers we worked with, the other artists we worked with, each kind of putting these different sort of visual ingredients together, and then figuring out yeah how do you create this sort of comprehensive world. And then you, then that's that's what that rehearsal process is is all about is trying to figure out how can you take these ideas that have been sketched out or kind of, you know, kind of hacked together in a Google doc between all, all different parties kind of coming together, mostly working kind of remotely and then come together in the, in the, in the real world and try to piece this together. And then when, when, you know, when, when we're doing the work at the silos, when we're creating that work, we're only creating it in the live for about four or five days. That's about all we have on site because once we're on site, everything's run on generators and we're, everything's rented on cabling. And it's, you know, it's just almost, you know, the, the, the meter starts ticking once we're on that site. And so we often don't see the actual work um, as it's supposed to be until opening night. And, and even then, sometimes Melissa and myself are, are actually choreographing the work while the audience is still watching it. So I reference back to you know, Crosswalk, that kind of fashion uh, party that we put on. Um, we couldn't get all the models together for any rehearsal. Um, so opening night was the only night we saw it. And so at the, so in real time, we were kind of like telling them, okay, you go now, you turn here, you do that. So kind of orchestrating it in, 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 the, in real time. Uh, and then when you see that, that come together, I mean, I think that's the addictive quality of, of doing this work is that to be able to try to visualize something um, and only have it be either in words or kind of on sketchbooks and then see it actually have to then you communicate that with humans and, and then you have to figure out how you can actually get the technology to support the idea and the design. And then when you see that kind of come together and hold for a moment, it doesn't always hold 
for the as long as you want it. Sometimes you realize that things are breaking down a bit, but when it holds, it all comes together. It's it's a it's just a fantastic feeling to to feel like you've sort of shaped um, a very small part of your world in a very controlled way, um, and that yeah. Yeah, and just to go back to the performers uh, for a second, uh, specifically in Boulevard, I mean, they very much, like I said, they bought in, you could tell, and they contributed to the ethereal nature of the work in such a way where you're like, whoa, like, we're talking about the dream world, and I mean, these people are of dreams, you know, in this production, they are, I mean, they're normal people in their regular lives, but here in the world, you know, at the Adam McEvich Library, um, in your, your space, I mean, they are they're they're people of dreams they're like figures that you see in your mind while you're sleeping and then you wake up and you know they, they look like normal people but yet they don't act that, that that was where kind of the david lynch thing came for me it's like these are almost like people but not really um which is a huge credit to them as performers because that takes a hell of a lot to immerse somebody in in the world of your imagining the performers in this project there's there's four of them are just fantastic and 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 building on what you said, I think that's that's where their real their real skill is. So they're not they're not given a lot. So they're not given extensive dialogue. You know, they they're not on they're not given a play with a, a really defined you know character arc. They're constructing that on their own with you know with me with me and Melissa giving some input for the most part. Though they just sort of slip into the world and then they own it. And and then from an act from an actor's point of view, they're they're doing something very challenging. So they're acting. We we called it. They're acting in these rooms, but the rooms, the walls are these like uh, transparent uh, curtains, and the audience is very close to those curtains. and And the curtain is doing two things. It's allowing the audience to look into these rooms, but the curtains are giving the audience, I think, just enough opportunity to feel that they're not. That they can, that they're not, that the audience isn't being watched by the actor, right? So that they, they, you can feel like you're really s- s- looking into someone's private moment, and they're not aware that you're looking at them. Um, so I think it, that becomes kind of a seductive quality. So then the the actors have to be performing as though no one is watching them; that they're actually alone in a room. How I how I gave them a little bit of direction to to heighten it, and I think maybe this gives it that dream quality. Was I wanted? I I told I told them, you know, you you don't know if you're ever not being watched. Is there some type of surveillance that's that's looking in at you? Um, I guess this kind of ties into the sort of totalitarian quality. Like, are, are you always being watched, even in your private moments? Um, and so every action, even the way you pour a drink, or smoke a cigarette is a conscious act you're doing it for a camera even though you don't know if a camera's on you um and i i thought that would be a both a a really kind of beautiful way to design acting but also kind of a horrifying way to have to live to always think that you know you have someone just uh possibly watching you and then the the actors play those roles four times in a row throughout the evening and what i love about that is that you start to feel the weight of the previous performance on the next performance. So in one way, you can see that weight psychologically. In some ways, you can see it visually. So an actor, each run puts more and more makeup on, and the makeup starts to kind of streak down, and the clothes get more worn. And So they're physically kind of wearing this sort of performance that they just keep doing over and over again throughout an evening. And I think that also becomes a really... Uh, interesting challenge for the actors that they handle so nicely. 
Yeah. I mean, this one, and, and so it, it ran through November um, into December here. I know the uh, the snowpocalypse kind of affected everybody, but it uh, took out a weekend of shows for you guys, right? Yeah, but then we moved it back. So that so the pr- the production will be continuing next weekend. So we didn't lose anything. We just sort of paused. Just moved it, yeah. And then just kicked it down the road. And so we'll have it closing this, this Saturday, right? So we didn't, we didn't actually... Okay. Good. Didn't lose anything on that. <laughs> so this so this Saturday is the last weekend of performances or the last run of shows? Yes, yeah. So we'll we'll do Thursday at a seven PM show and then Saturday we'll do a, a seven and an eight fifteen. Okay. So is is that Thursday show sold out? Or is it No, these ones so we were the weekend was this past weekend was I think pretty much sold out or sold out. Next weekend we still have availabilities. Okay. So listener, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, this sounds really fucking cool, and you're right, it is. This episode is going to be dropping probably on Thursday uh, morning, afternoon. So if you're one of our diligent listeners, you love it, you love us, and you're listening, and you're like, man, what do I do this weekend? What do I do with my time? Well, I'm going to tell you what you do with your time. I'm going to go to Torn Space. You're going to go, uh, where, where do you buy the tickets, Dan? Yeah, so you just go right to the uh, the website, tornspacetheater.com, uh, and that's where you get the, the, the tickets and get more description on the work. You buy your tickets. You're going to go, if you're free Thursday, you go Thursday. If you're free Saturday, what better thing could you be doing on a Saturday night than seeing this? I, I really, and I'm not being facetious here. It really is worth your time and your weekend plans. Um, I also understand, Dan, that uh, it's it's the year end appeal for Torn Space, right? Is you know the fundraising, the PBS hour here? Yeah. So this is you know the, this is part of the reality too. We've been having a lot of fun talking about dreams and. Hannah Arendt and, and virtual reality. Um, and then there's always the, the the fundraising component of of running these companies. So we do a an end of a year appeal. Um, so because of the work that we do, we're pretty reliant on on grants and and private donations. Um, and especially when you're doing work for only 20 people at a time, it's not you're not doing a holiday musical where you're playing it for, you know, three or four hundred people. So to do the work that we do um, requires us to to fundraise a lot on on the projects. I think that's sort of just inherent in doing both the type of work we do and in the in the genre we do it in. Um, so we do an annual appeal at the end of the year, and we're and so yeah, we're really relying on sort of the what is it? I've, I'm trying to think of the line of PBS. You know, viewers like you. Um, <laughs> you know, we're we're really relying on the on the kindness of strangers and. Um, and our and our, and our audience, our public, who who supports the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, people. When people say, uh, you know, keep Buffalo a secret, that whole marketing campaign. This is the kind of thing they're talking about. Torn space is the secret. This is like the cool shit that's on the vanguard. I'd put it up there with anything you'd see in New York, Austin, Texas, L.A. Like this is the kind of art um, and performance that you walk away from and you tell your friends and you say holy shit, there's some really cool shit happening in Buffalo. Torn Space is it. So if you can go this weekend to Boulevard, please do so. I highly encourage it. We'll put the link out in our social media for the tickets. And then, you know, give till it hurts. Help out uh, Torn Space because we want this kind of stuff around. We we want the we want it to build. And we're, if you couldn't tell, I'm a very big fanboy of your work here, Dan. Um, really excited to have you on the show and uh, talking to you today. Um, I know you're probably developing what's coming up next in 2023 now, I'm yeah, assuming. I could t- I'll give you a little peek, sneak peek into it if you want. Yeah, please. Um, so 
but, but going back, you, yeah, you did see the, the 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 thing of the secret. The, the other thing that I think is a secret that I I wish I want people to be aware of is um, where you know we we do a lot of the work at the Silo City, which is I don't think much of a secret anymore. It's it's known because just because it's it's magnificent architecture and, and and the fantastic work that's being done at Silo City. But where Boulevard's being done at the Adam Mickiewicz Library and Dramatic Circle, I mean, it's just I mean, it, you are going into the authentic kind of you know Polish tavern on the east side, um, so you get that experience. You get this sort of great selection of Eastern European liqueurs and beers, um, and then you go then you get into the performance. So I think we've been really happy with the relationship with the Mixcavige because it it fits I think really nicely with what we're about and what we're trying to uh, create with performance and this idea of like you know nothing's quite artificial. It always kind of is based on this authentic world, but just an authentic world that's slightly kind of off center. Um, and, and that really appeals to us. So, you know, what we're, what we got upcoming is we're, we're, we're getting ready for an installation. Um, we're, we got, uh, selected by an international curator to bring our work, um, to the Prague Quadrennial, which is a really one of the premier, if not premier, um, surveys of, of contemporary performance design. And it's held up four years, uh, in Prague. Uh, and so, we are d- devising a an, an installation that's going to be looking at a survey of our 10, 10 years of work at Silas City. And so this summer we're coming upon the, a decade of devising and developing work at, at Silas City. So this installation will kind of give us the opportunity to really start to, to formulate how, how can we take a 10 years of work and kind of, and kind of communicate what that work was. Uh, and, and so that that will be going to to uh, Prague in June, uh, and then we'll be developing our tenth year anniversary production um, at the Silos um, called Decade for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, and so I think that that will be a, a big part of our focus. And then the other part of our work that we'll be be putting a lot of emphasis on is we're really grounding ourselves in our home space on the east side. So we're entering into phase three of our capital campaign, which is going to be uh, kind of reconsidering the surrounding property that we um, that we have within partnership with the Mixkevich and start thinking about how can we take the, the methods of site-specific theater that we use at Silo City and start to kind of implement that um, around our own our own property. Um, so we'll be doing some site-specific performance uh, in our Broadway Fillmore neighborhood, and and yeah, and, and leaning into kind of the, the the tools that we learned at the silos and start to kind of integrate into the uh, into the work at the uh, at the Bixcavich. Well, that's really fucking cool. <laughs> that's really exciting. So I am looking forward to uh, Torn Space and everything in 2023. But in the current moment, like I said, this weekend, go do it. Go see Boulevard. It rules. So. Dan, anything else uh, we want to get out there before? I I don't. Unless you, if you have another question that you've been at, wanting to ask, I'm 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 ready. To, uh, you know, I can I can. I'll shoot shoot one at me, or I'll I'll leave the mystery. I think uh, you know there's there's something to be said about a little bit of mystery. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll put out the link to uh, the tickets to go see Boulevard. And uh, thanks again for joining us here at the Square. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the great questions. All right. All right. 